Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about the latest on HIV AIDS and COVID-19. World AIDS Day was first observed in 1988. Each year, organizations and individuals across the world bring attention to the HIV epidemic endeavor to increase HIV awareness. Our co-host, Dr. D. Banks Bright, an infectious disease specialist, will talk about the latest updates of HIV AIDS and what should be done to protect against COVID-19. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. How are you? Hi, Vicki. How how are you doing today? I am doing fine. And yes, it was a, a big snowstorm yesterday, but it's not doing that today. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw Reverend Lewis Macklin sing on Facebook. He was like, did I miss the storm? <laughs> I mean, I woke up. <laughs> well, first of all, yesterday they had this great big thing like Armageddon was coming. You know, I went out and got some groceries, and I'm getting all my saws, and I'm like, I'm sure I'm not going to be able to go to work. And then I woke up, and it was like, okay. I know. Good, because I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of snow anyway. And then this morning, mm-hmm. well, I guess it's snow, but I don't know if you've looked outside. Everything has melted. Everything has melted. So I was like, I mean, well. Everything has melted. And I can, I know. I can deal I'm, with I'm that. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I can do that. I can do that. That's what I said. I can deal with that. It's not a problem. No, I can deal with that. Denver Denver is like that. Denver will, Denver will have like eight feet of snow, and then the next morning it's like melted. I know. Isn't that crazy? I know. That's weird. That is weird. But anyway, I'm glad to be back together. We haven't, we, what, two weeks since we've had our show, right? Yeah, we had to do other things and take a break, but we were constantly... Yeah doing stuff so hey that's a good thing yeah. mm-hmm. Me too. Mm-hmm. we we just keep it moving <laughs> keep it moving exactly well today we talk about the latest updates on hiv aids and COVID 19 and yesterday was world aids day world aids day was first observed in 1988 each year Organizations and individuals across the world bring attention to the HIV epidemic endeavor to increase HIV awareness and knowledge to speak out against HIV stigma and 
call for an increased response to move toward ending the HIV epidemic, a plan for America. The thing for this year, which is the 2020 observance, is ending the HIV AIDS epidemic resilience and impact. And so we thought it would be relevant for our co-host, Dr. D. Banks Bright. That would be moi. That's that's you, right? <laughs> that would be moi. An infectious disease specialist and a longtime advocate in the fight against HIV AIDS to come and talk about the latest updates of HIV AIDS, most especially pertaining to our African-American women. The coronavirus is having a tremendous effect on the HIV population. And so Dr. D will touch on what people living with HIV need to know and to do and to protect themselves from COVID-19. And so we can't wait to hear from her later on in this episode. Right, D? Right. And we appreciate it, though. We appreciate when you come in and give us the latest. You're welcome. More than welcome. It was time for an update. Yeah, it was time for an update. So make sure, guys, make sure you go and check out our Vicky Doe Fitness Health and Wellness um, website, VickyDoeFitness.com. And while you are there, sign up for our newsletter to receive updates about our new health wellness master classes and our online health fitness training programs. And right now, we are showcasing our Vicky Doe Fitness Step-by-Step Weight Loss Boot Camp Master Class, which is an online 12-week comprehensive weight loss program. And you can also sign up for our health and wellness webinar training, Get Back to Healthy Living as well. Now, these health and wellness programs are there for you to participate in and to get that healthy transformation and weight loss that you have always wanted. And so let us start living healthy, folks. You know, we are rolling forward into the new year 2021, and we definitely need to start today because it's never too late. And we are here. We are health fitness experts, and we are here to help you achieve your healthy living goals. And so I encourage you to take that step. Go directly to vickidofitness.com forward slash training to learn more about our Vikido Fitness Academy online health wellness training programs. And so I can't wait to see you there. And what do we always say, Dee? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, Dee, you know, as you were asking me um, earlier today, yes, I am in the last two weeks of class at Kent State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am excited. We I are, bet. well, we totally remote now. So, hey. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yesterday I had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yesterday I had my first class, my first class remotely here from my office here. So the dance class is remote? Yes, they're remote too, but I structured mine where we did we we did all of our dancing at the first half and then these last uh-huh. two weeks it's more lecture about the dance history. Okay. So yeah. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Okay. And so that's Yeah, how- because um I was taking this microbiome class 
at YSU, and mm-hmm. today was the last day for uh, the, the students had to give all their presentations and stuff like that because the class is over on December the seventh. It doesn't look like he's going to have class, but I think YSU was remote. Were they totally were remote? The states, were all the state schools remote? I don't know. I think maybe there was some hybrid because I don't pass down there very much anymore. But I know our class was all remote starting in August. Okay, it was all remote. Okay, some classes like... Yeah, it was all remote. Yeah, some classes at Kent were all remote, but most of them were hybrid or, yeah, where you do face-to-face and then some remote. And then now, because Mm -hmm. it's after Thanksgiving, the whole campus shut down starting... That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, starting November the 30th until... after Christmas, right? We are done, and then there's finals, and then we start up again on the 19th of January... But it's a different type of coming in. Some people will start out remote. Then some people, Uh some some of my classes will be remote at the beginning and then Uh um, roll into where we come face to face. Then another one of my classes will start out face to face and then do like we're doing now in remotely. So they they're doing all kinds of things to try to get a handle on, you know, the whole COVID thing. So kudos to Kent. Kudos to them, yeah. Kudos to Kent. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and I've been trying to, you know, reach out to the students too because, you know, every time I ask them how they're doing, they go, oh, we are stressed out. I'm sure. I can. Now, illness is going to be a biggie after this is all, well, not that, not that it hasn't been, but, you know, there are all kinds of mental health situations going on here. The quarantining, the loneliness, the stressing out, you know, doing a lot of this stuff. But, you know, I was thinking, I don't know that I, w- I wouldn't have mind, some of my classes, I wouldn't have mind doing remotely when I was, because today I was thinking, I was exercising on the floor while I was listening to my lecture. <laughs> <laughs> I went over and made my smoothie. I put it on mute, you know, and stopped the video. I went over and made a smoothie. Yeah, and I I know that. While I'm listening, and I got the ball, I'm sitting with the ball, exercising with the weights and stuff. And I'm like, this is cool. (laughs) I can do class like this. I know, but that's that's the whole issue, you know. When I when (laughs) when I was teach, even even with me teaching earlier, you know, some folks do decide distracted. Well, some people decide to, to come remotely, even even though those are some folks that are in the class face to face. And I always um, look over to the to the computer and say, mm-hmm, yeah, you don't have your video on. Come back. I know you over there in the bed or something. Then they'll be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, we are. <laughs> Somebody the, day, the other day kid was giving a presentation. He goes. Oh, the cat just walked all over my paper. So, you know, she's doing all kinds of weird things. I know, just weird yeah, things. But, but, you know, it's, you know it's, I guess we, we're, we're, we just have to adapt. You know, I'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what's going on with COVID vaccines and, and, um, and HIV in a little bit. But um, I heard some, some, some good news this morning. They had CEO of the German company that's in partnership with Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of caught him coming out the building. And it was a really good interview. And he said, you know, the last question that they were asking him, all these other things, they asked him when he thought that we would be back to some kind of normalcy. And he said the end of the summer of 2021. Okay. And he based that on that 70% of the world has to be vaccinated against COVID. And so it's going to take that long. 70% of the world will need to be vaccinated. Wow. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, at yeah. least there's some hope. 
there is some hope, you know, but as I continue to say, my, my, and I, I stole this to somebody else, but people are attributing it to me. Vaccines don't treat disease. Vaccinations do. So you got to, you know, you got a lot of mistrust, especially something being pushed through this fast. It's like unprecedented to have a vaccine press pushed through it. People are like, well, you know, it took polio. Well, they didn't, well, first of all, you can't compare the development of the polio vaccine or some of these other vaccines to development of vaccines now, it'd be almost like comparing my computer class in 19, my computer class in 1969 mm-hmm. to my computer now. The computer class, the computer filled up a whole room. Right. And they had that dot, they had that dot matrix stuff. And now your phone is probably, has a, probably can hold two or three of those same kind of computers. So, you know, different technology and stuff That's you know, polio vaccine came out in the 60s. So it doesn't bother me that they push through the technology. I just don't want them to push through and mess up side effects. That's the only thing I'm concerned about. I don't want to turn into a werewolf when I didn't have COVID. <laughs> now you get your vaccine. And now I got hair growing all over my body. I don't want that. <laughs> I know. I know. But, hey. So, so that was so that was my week. Just busy, you know. I saw your honey sweet all during the hospital. He was on last week. We're both on. We're just. It's like the surge is biblical. Mm. The numbers of patients that we're seeing in the hallways and everything. It's like some plague that you've read from the Bible, where Pharaoh had this big plague all over everybody. And that's the way it is. I mean, they don't have room in the emergency room for patients to stay down there for two or three days because there's no bed. Mm. I don't know. Wow. And I mean, they're threatening to take people out of the hospital. The other night, I got a call. Well, you got to get this lady out of here. Or we're going to get the police. I'm like, no, don't do that. You can't be kicking people out of the hospital with the police. He's not ready to go. I'll come in and discharge her in the morning. But they're desperate for beds. Wow. Desperate. So they can have so beds. Bad. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I remember back in the early days of COVID, and I think it's like that too, somebody that was getting ready to die, you know, you were trying to do terminal excavation so it would be a bed for somebody else. And I mean, you really are desperate when you're getting into that. I just I don't like that mentality because I feel myself getting that way. It's like, you know, here's another bed for somebody else. This person's not going to get me better, not going to get me better. And, you know, that's just to be a bed for somebody else. That's just what we go through. Mm-hmm. Well... We might need to have Stephen King come back on here and talk about, I'm sure he's dealt, I mean, it would be interesting for him to come back on and talk about what he's observed and has his psychiatric practice increased during the quarantining. Because he hasn't been on here for a year. Yeah, we need to get him on here. Come on and talk about some coping mechanisms. Oh, yeah. I think it would be good for him to come on and talk about some coping mechanisms for quarantining. I think so, too. Oh, yeah. I am sure he is busy. What? is going on this week. Vicki, everything, everything is going on. Everything is going on. And so I said, you know what? Let's look and see what's going on around this area locally and put it out there Mm -hmm. and maybe get away. We can't get away totally from um, COVID, but see what other folks are doing. And so this Mm -hmm. came up, this was on um, Spectrum News, and it Mm -hmm. says Northeast Ohio chef credits pandemic for boost in business. And so I looked Mm -hmm. at the video and the article and it was talking about chef, chef Eric Wells. He specializes in preparing intimate dinners for two 
through his business, Sky LaRay's Culinary Services. When the uh, coronavirus pandemic hit, he was prepared to put his plans to expand his clientele on the back burner. But guess what? He said, okay, my thoughts, my first thoughts were, you know, how will all of us survive? I didn't think there was a way that people would even want anyone around at all, you know, with the virus. This is what Wells is saying. Come to find out, even with all of this, he has created personalized menus and a personalized um, experience for people who are unable to celebrate their birthdays or anniversaries at their favorite restaurant. So I guess what he does is, you know, he, he says again, since COVID, it's just really been amazing at how I've done probably about 170 of those unique experiences since COVID hit in mid-March. He provides that that ultimate dining experience because people, you know, um, a lot of people don't want to go and visit the restaurants, but they're called him to come to to their place. That's 50% more clients, he said, than he served this time last year. You know, people really want to stay home. They want to kind of stay out of the public with everything going on. The numbers are going up as far as COVID, so they feel comfortable in their home. He wears his mask, that's what he's saying, and I wear gloves. And I kind of keep my social distancing, that's, this is what he's saying, from the clients while I cook, and hopefully they enjoy the great food too. So, yeah, he created his personalized service where he goes to them. That's you know? a great idea. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm, that's a great idea. Yeah, so. Because a lot of people, and I bet his business is going to even surge more now because people are, abs- well, some people. <laughs> are absolutely not wanting to go anywhere. Some people, um, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, good for him. That's like taking. That's like what do they say? Making lemonade out of lemon. That's it. He said it's just surprised him. Yeah, he's he's found success and and so yeah. Even though business has slowed for some of the other chefs, you know, it's it's increased for him. And so what he ended saying was, he said, I still want people to support local independent restaurants. There are families mm-hmm. there that are relying on these restaurants. So I do want people to keep going there. But I am an option. And that's a nice option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a nice option. And this is out of Cleveland, mm-hmm. Ohio. Okay. The sad news for a chef was Michael Simon's restaurant's closing. But, you know, you're going to have to figure out how that that model of the restaurant is probably not going to come back the way it was for a long time. And doing innovative things like you're talking about with this guy is probably the new model. The new model. Yeah. Sometimes. The old model of, you know, restaurants as we knew them for a while. That's just not going to happen. No. And so, like Allison Wynn has told us, all of these businesses, we got to sit and reimagine now. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> right. <laughs> she's right. She's right. No, she's right. Yeah, she's right. So I thought that was cool to bring That's up. That's good, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, I have tip this time, you know, it's an article And I thought it was interesting. It's written by Health Day News, and it is found on our website, Vicky Doe Fitness. And it says, what the pandemic did 
to workouts. It starts out saying, in the face of pandemic mandated gym closings and significant limits on movement outside the home, a new survey suggests that Americans are spending more time exercising, but they're dialing back the intensity of their workouts. The survey of nearly 900 Americans across the country conducted between May and June used as its benchmark World Health Organization recommendations that all adults between 18 and 64 get a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise a week. The COVID, and this was said by the author Mary Stinson, she said the COVID, the COVID restrictions imposed early in the pandemic created a unique, unprecedented um, environment including restricted access to resources and, in some cases, increased unstructured time. Mary, who's the author of the study, Mary Stinson, an associate um, professor of exercise science and sports studies at College of St. Benedict, St. John's University in St. Joseph, Minnesota, continued to say, we were curious how these changes might impact physical activity patterns in the U.S. during the shutdowns, but also if these shifts would remain in the long term. Well, the Stinson study, more than 85% of those polled were women and nearly 90% were white with an average age of almost 39. The findings, by June, just over 60% of those surveyed said they were meeting the WHO threshold, representing a nearly 8% jump from pre-pandemic routines. Investigators also found a more than 11% jump in the number of people who were actually exceeding that threshold. The number of days per week spent exercising also went up notably from 3.75 days to more than 4.25 days. Time spent per exercise session, however, stayed more or less stable at just under an hour, and exercise intensity decreased significantly, the researchers found, with respondents attributing the drop to an inability to access the gym equipment and classes and a shift to more outdoor walking. Stenson said the increased activity and lower intensity were in line with what we expected. She said the, the findings likely reflect the loss of performance or accountability that comes with the cancellation of group exercise, organized sports, and trainer sessions. But Stinson said she was surprised by an additional observation that nearly three-quarters of those surveyed said they were likely or very likely to stick with their pandemic exercise habits post-pandemic. And nearly 94% of those who had increased their activity level since March said that they plan to continue with their new routines over the coming year. And so Stinson said, we hope to find this is true next spring when we follow up. The plan is to resurvey the same people next June. In the meantime, she said, her team is hopeful that some individuals realize how much they can be 
active with limited resources and that they will maintain their increased activity in the coming months. That thought was seconded by Dr. Patrice Alexandra Golum, a professor of medicine with the University of California, San Diego's School of Medicine. She said, fitness is tied to better health outcomes and fewer COVID high risk factors like hypertension, which is high blood pressure, obesity, and diabetes. Even though Dr. Beatrice Golem said this, she was not a part of the study. She continued on to say, thus exercise in the time of COVID remains important. And she also added, it's a time of opportunity to discover new ways of exercise. There are a plethora of online exercise video options, possibly parts or trails to investigate and creative ways to repurpose your home or apartment. Chairs, beds, the floor or vacuum cleaners can be conscripted for use. Remember, any movement is better than no movement. Now, that becomes all the more important during a time of increased eating and sedentary behavior. And this was said by Lona Sandum, who is a program director of the Department of Clinical Nutrition in the School of Health Professions at UT Southern Medical Center in Dallas. She said, I know from my own experience, she was not a part of the study as well. And she continues to say, I sit more during the day when working at home, and when I am in the office, I move around a lot more, get up out of my desk to talk to people at the other end of the hall and run up the stairs to do something in the lab. And because, she says, because what you eat is as important as exercise, she's given us some advice, and that is to think realistically about calorie balance. We tend to underestimate the calories we eat and overestimate the calories we use. If over the past five or six months, your clothes have been tightening, take a look at where you might be getting a few extra calories. Are you eating more desserts than you used to? Are you having a few more beers or glasses of wine? Mm, 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 mm. Or <laughs> are you simply eating out of boredom or stress and depression? That's that article, and I think this is good for us to know because we do think that some people aren't exercising, but apparently they are, just differently. What do you think, Dee? So uh, I just have one comment. Okay. <laughs> so this study was done at the College of St. Benedict, St. John's University, in St. Joseph, Minnesota. <laughs> and so we know what the demographics are there, okay? Mm-hmm. And... That's all well and good, and I and I it's a good study in terms of the motivation. But a comparative study, I want to see in New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a comparative study <laughs> in New Orleans, Louisiana, at say Xavier University or someplace like that. Demographics might be a little bit. <laughs> I would venture to say that the brothers and the sisters are not going to have that whatever percentage of getting close to that 
three days a week, intensive exercise and all that. I believe that it might be more past the gumbo. <laughs> past the gumbo. That's it. Past the gumbo. Because, you know, you at home, look. Which I, is bad. I mean, which is bad. Yeah, but uh, I. But I, it would be a, a nice comparative study to see from an, is there difference from an ethnic standpoint you know what i mean yeah from an ethnic standpoint that's true and it probably will be different you know but yeah i thought that was interesting and when you talk about cooking i remember when the pandemic first started and i was home everybody was home and stuff and yeah and i was like well hold on a minute i'm cooking breakfast <laughs> lunch snack dinner just too much <laughs> Every time you look around, it was time to eat <laughs> and time to cook. You can't get into that. You can't get into that. I mean, there are many times I'll, I'll look in the refrigerator. I'm like, I'm just throwing that away. I'm going to throw that away. Just throw that away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. I mean, you have to reassess all of that. You do have to reassess um, all of that. Like I said, we have had a couple of, in fact, I just walked to the hospital this morning. And I noticed that our hospital fitness center has closed down now because of COVID. And mm. I continue to say gyms were nasty before COVID. Big time. Um, people didn't clean the machines. You know, after they got on them, they were sweating on the machines and they didn't clean them. And so I just, for me, that looks like a super, a huge super spreader until I, I see that they're doing a lot better social distancing and cleaning and stuff like that. I like what the article said. You know, you don't need fancy equipment, you know, a chair bed, a ball. You know, I have a ball. Mm-hmm. The other day I said, let me get this out because this is, you don't need a lot of expensive equipment. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, and then you so, just, yeah. and I always tell people to invest at least in one expensive equipment and then you can have that always. You can have your, your right. bike, your, exactly. your bike or your treadmill yeah. or yeah. elliptical yeah. and just have that always. Exactly. They, they, they last forever. You know? Yeah, and a lot of people don't, and you don't have to go out and buy these $2,000 Peloton things. Mm-mm. So, yeah. So that was good. That was very good. But I still want to see <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> I just want to see a comparative study. I'm just saying. I'm just... Or down south, past the potato salad. <laughs> I want to see And the macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. D, what's the latest? I know you're going to talk more, but what you have any latest? The the latest today is I'm going to talk about um, COVID and HIV AIDS. So that's the latest. Stay tuned. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own. Haywood Doe Consulting Co. doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. 
If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Today, we talk about the latest updates on HIV AIDS and COVID-19. Yesterday was World AIDS Day, which was observed across the world to bring awareness to the HIV epidemic endeavor to spread knowledge of the move toward ending the HIV epidemic, a plan for America. The theme for this year, 2020 observance, is ending the HIV AIDS epidemic, resilience and impact. Now, our co-host, Dr. D. Banks Bright, an infectious disease specialist, will give us the latest update on HIV AIDS and African-American women, but also to give us tips on what people who are living with HIV need to do and need to know in protecting themselves from COVID-19. So, Dr. D. Thank you. Thank you, Vicki. I'm going to start out talking about, um, first, just globally about HIV, AIDS. And I just wanted to, first of all, since yesterday was World AIDS Day, I did want to give a few global HIV, AIDS, HIV and AIDS statistics 2020. There are 26 million people were accepting antiretroviral therapy as of the end of June 2020. 38 million people globally were living with HIV in 2019. 1.7 million people became newly infected with HIV in 2019. And 690,000 people died from AIDS-related illnesses in 2019. There have been 75.7 million people have become infected with HIV since the start of the epidemic to the end of 2019. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, 32.7 million people have died from AIDS-related illnesses since the start of the epidemic ending in 2019. So just to kind of give you where we are from a global standpoint. Now, you know, these numbers that we're that I'm telling you about with the global thing, this has happened over since um, the epidemic started in like 1981, I think was when they first identified those men who happened to be gay who developed those pneumocystis that you usually only saw in patients that were immunocompromised. And when you're thinking about these millions and millions of, of, of people, let's just look at coronavirus where we are right now. We haven't even been into this for a year. So mm. when you talk about there, there are pandemics and then there are pandemics like coronavirus. Of the 37,968 new HIV diagnoses in the United States and dependent areas, and by dependent areas, we mean like Puerto Rico and, you know, some of the, the islands in the Pacific, Micronesia and Samoa and all those other places. Of 37,968 new diagnoses in the United States and dependent areas in 2018, 69% were among gay and bisexual men, 24% were among heterosexuals, and 7% were among people who ingest drugs. So of the new HIV diagnosis, how does it break down in terms of race, ethnicity, and sexual orientation? So still at the top are black African-American male-to-male sexual contact followed by Hispanic Latino male-to-male sexual contact, followed by white male-to-male sexual contact. And then number four 
are black African-American women who have had heterosexual contact and then black African-American men heterosexual contact and then Latinas and then white women at the bottom with heterosexual contact. And the sad news about it is that these disparities, when they were initially identified sometime in the 80s, just really haven't changed. And that's kind of a sad commentary that here we are 30 years out and we still haven't really closed the gap on the, the disparities with respect to race and ethnicity. New diagnoses in terms of ages, who's getting it, and this is 2018, the number of new HIV diagnoses was highest among people that were 25 to 34. Then the other fast-rising group, I was getting a talk last night, um, and even though the highest group is 25 to 34, a group that is kind of forgotten because you don't really, because physicians aren't focusing on them, um, they're doing, trying to do more literature, are those individuals that are 55 and older. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know that, you know, 55 is the new 35 and 65 is the new 45. And so there are a lot of missed opportunities with respect to identifying HIV AIDS in the elderly population, which has created a new surge in this group. Transgender people, they talked about that in the new data. In 2018, transgender people accounted for 2% of the 37,000 new diagnoses, and that transgender male to female accounted for 1% of the new diagnosis, and female to male accounted for less than 1% of the new HIV diagnosis. Speaking of transgender, did you know that, that young lady who was transgender this morning, the actress who, was, who played on Juno? I know, um, right? Yeah, she came out this morning, or she is now he, okay, and everybody yeah. was rallying around her. Yeah, I saw that. So now gay, bisexual, and other men who reported male-to-male sexual contact are the population most affected by HIV. And in 2018, gay and bisexual men accounted for 69% of the 37,000 and 86% of the diagnoses among males. Again, if you look at a bar graph or line graph of disparities with race and ethnicity, again, primarily black, African, gay, bisexual men are still at the top. If you look at So how are we doing in terms of, you know, decrease in diagnoses, getting a handle on disease? We're making strides in white gay bisexual men, but in black African-American gay bisexual men and Latino and Latino Hispanic men, we're stable. There really hasn't been a significant decrease from 2014 to 2018. And there's actually been an increase in American Indians and Alaska, Alaska Native men, which I found kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Heterosexuals continue to be affected by HIV, and they accounted for 24% of the 37,000 new diagnoses. In terms of trans by sex, the uh, heterosexual men, they've made significant strides in terms of decreasing their infectivity rate and heterosexual women, that's come down to. A group that has kind of gone, maybe not gone up, I would say, in IV people who inject drugs, that's kind of been, I can't say that it's gone up, but just from an anecdotal standpoint, we know with the opioid crisis, we're finding new diagnoses, maybe not so much of 
HIV, but sexually transmitted diseases, if you look at it, one of the reasons that they follow trends in sexually transmitted diseases is that if people are getting sexually transmitted diseases, that means they're not wearing protection. Mm. So if they're not getting checked for HIV, you might expect a surge in HIV in two or three years from that disease. Mm. I think the data is still out because this opioid surge has really only been going on for about maybe three years. So again, there's still the um, disparities are still there in terms of, and, you know, despite the fact that we have had some increases in resources, the CDC has put out all kinds of programs. Um, We've involved faith-based organizations. We've involved uh, a lot of other, you know, Divine Nine, that's been a big term now with the Biden-Harris campaign. Those are the, the fraternities and sororities. They've been involved. We just still haven't been able to break through that disparity problem with Mm -hmm. disease. Let's go to areas and regions, and I'm going to talk more about that when I talk about women. Atlanta, at least two years ago, was the epicenter for HIV AIDS in African-American men. That was the epicenter. Mm. Um, It still probably is. I, I don't know specifically they know why. There was a big problem there with, you know, new diagnoses. And again, a lot of people move into Atlanta. You know, it's a, it's the new Los Angeles. Yeah, it's very you know, uh, metro, very metro. Area, right? You know, very metro, exactly. And you mm-hmm. have a lot of, um, and I don't want to cast any dispersions, but, you know, you watch television, you watch Real Housewives of Atlanta. Not that that, that, that represents what Atlanta is, but, you know, the so-called metrosexual male. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of that may contribute to some of it. I can't say that it contributes a lot, but for, for whatever reason, that's the epicenter. But in all, the South represents 15.6% of those new diagnoses, and uh, U.S.-dependent areas like Puerto Rico and those, those islands um, off the Pacific, that represents 126 The Northeast, 99 Midwest, 97 and the Midwest, 72 so now this is overall. So listen to those statistics, and that's just overall. And listen to when I talk about women, okay. where the distribution is. Mm-hmm. In 2008, it was estimated that six in seven knew they had the virus, but there's still a significant number of people out there today. And I think the panel that I was on last night with Jenny Kane, Dr. Jenny Kane, said mm-hmm. that There are about 14% of the people in the United States that have it that don't know that they have it. Mm. If you look at 100 adults and adolescents with HIV in 2018, here's some of the other statistics. If you just look at 100 100 individuals with it, 65% have received some HIV care, 50 were retained in care, and 56 were virally suppressed. Well, that number should be 100. Mm. 100 should have received some care, or at least 99. 99 should, should have been retained in care, and 99 should be virally suppressed. But I think one of the things that goes into the, those statistics is that, again, there are disparities in terms of access to care, access to medications, and all, all the social determinants of health that go into black African Americans, men and women, not having access to care, not being retained in care, and so forth. So I'm going to jump to women, African-American women, which was a talk that I did last night, a webinar for World AIDS Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yesterday, and you, you, you know, you, you brought up what the theme um, for World AIDS Day was for us this year. 
And like you said, World AIDS Day has gone on since 1988. I remember the first time I took care of a patient with HIV was probably around that time. Well, maybe about 87. Mm-hmm. Remember we had a patient in, about maybe 1985, we had a patient in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing testing for it, but I just remember that this was a patient who had all kinds of opportunistic infections, meaning these are infections that you just don't see normally. There are people who, you know, have our, we used to see on cancer chemotherapy or whose immune system was profoundly compromised. Mm. And then about 1988, 89, they were able to test for it. And then the first drug, AZT, came along. So that's how long we've been into this disease. Mm. Um, so let's look at HIV AIDS specifically in African-American women. Um, and if you look at the diagnosis of HIV infection among female adults and adolescents by race and ethnicity from 2010 to 2017, if you were looking at this line graph with me, there was a, a larger number of the, the line graph was black African Americans on top, followed by Hispanic Latinos, followed by white, and then followed by multiple races. And I'm not really sure how they define multiple uh, races. I need to tease that data out a little bit. I'm not sure whether there are people who self-identify as, you know, a lot of people right. self-identify as multiracial. Right, right. And they don't identify themselves as black or white or Latino. So that may be that group, which is why that number is really low, but mm. they don't really fit into any particular category. Okay. But if you were looking at the graph that I have, black African Americans are still on the top if you look at females from 2010 to 2017. Now, a lot of this information that I'm giving you on African-American women today is from 2017, 2018, 2019. The data always lags behind. You're not going to have right. 20 data because we're still in 2020. Right. You know that from your, from your statistics and your studies. That right. Data is always a year or two behind in terms of you know, mm-hmm. surveillance information. Mm-hmm. But again, disparity. Diagnosis of HIV infection in population among female adults and adolescents by race and ethnicity. If you were looking at this bar graph that I have that's put out by the CDC, uh, African-American women represent 13% of the female population, but they represent 58% of the HIV infection in this country. Wow. So let me repeat that. African-American women represent 13% of the population in this country, but they represent 58% of the cases of HIV. That's like huge. Let that sink in, right. Let, let that sink in. There's another slide that I put up that shows the United States, and it's in multiple colors. The darker colors are the states that have the densest, the most dense population of women, adults and adolescents with HIV infection, and this is 2018 data. And, of course, there's some outlier. The, the heaviest impacted states, just let me name the outliers, Nevada, Washington State, North Dakota, New York, some of the states in New England. But the heaviest, again, in terms of heaviest, the dense population of um, HIV in women, are the southern states, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. Wow. So now if you tease that data out, mm-hmm. these are the states that where the governors have not Medicaid expansion mm. and Medicaid expansion. Remember, I was talking to we, we were talking to Daniel Dawes about political determinants of health. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, your health is determined by who you vote for. Exactly. So many of these states are run by Republican governors, 
who did not expand Medicaid. And if you don't have Medicaid expansion in your state, that really limits access to care, resources, and stuff like that. So those women, particularly, who were HIV-infected, you know, they didn't have the clinics, the, re- the, the health positions, all the resources that go into mm-hmm. death. And that was 2008-18, and nothing has changed. Let that sink in. Um, I put this slide up last night, and fortunately, we don't, ha- we don't talk a lot about deaths anymore. And I shouldn't say anymore with female adults and adolescents diagnosed with HIV, because we finally, if patients are on medication, and I say this, in this country, not in other countries, I'm not talking about, you know, places in the African continent or India or whatever, mm-hmm. but in this country, mm-hmm. if you take your medication, I don't know how many drugs we have now. I mean, it just, I, I stopped counting. Wow. We have so many drugs now to get your CD4 count up and, vi- and get your viral load, what we call, down to undetectable levels. And that's the achievement. You want to get your viral load to less than 10 copies, for, as we call it, 10 copies, and you want to get your CD4 count above 200. And we've had significant success with that in patients who take their medication. But of those individuals who die, again, the disparity is black African-American women. Remember the, the, when I was telling you about the regions where people with HIV infection are hit the hardest, and for HIV infection among female adults and adolescents, black African Americans are hit hardest in the Northeast, which would be Washington, D.C., and New York, and some of the New England states, and the South. Northeast and the South, followed by the West, followed by Midwest. Interestingly enough, Midwest is the fourth. So if you look at age, and, you know, I only threw up the AIDS. AIDS is defined as having one of those opportunistic infections like thrush or mycobacterium avium or there's a disease called toxoplasmosis that a lot of, I think that's what um, Arthur Ashe got. It's a disease you get from cleaning cat litter, and it causes a parasite in your brain, and, you know, it used to cause death. So we, fortunately, if patients are on their medication, we don't have a lot of patients going into the AIDS category. But again, if you look at it by region, Northeast and the South um, heavily is um, represented. If we look at transmission, so how is it acquired in a female adults and adolescents? Primarily through heterosexual contact, you know, as opposed to um, men with obviously gay bisexual men and some IV drug use in women, it's heterosexual contact, and then again, followed by IV drugs. The CDC has some very nice infographics, and I would tell the public to go to cdc.gov if your organization is planning on doing a program around women, either, you know, all women or African-American women, the cdc.gov slash HIV AIDS in women has a wonderful website um, and infographic to use. So if you look at new, new HIV diagnoses among women by race and ethnicity in the United States in dependent areas for 2018, again, disproportionately represented by black African-American women, 57%. Mm. And again, if we're looking at age groups, again, this is 2018, primarily 25 to 34. But again, I want to repeat that 55 and older group is 
rapidly growing. You know, another thing that you talk about with women, too, who are 55 and older, you know, women, their kids are all grown, they're up and out of the house, they may be divorced, mm-hmm. um, dating, they don't know somebody else's sexual history. You know, we used to say when you have sex with somebody, you're having sex with somebody who had sex with somebody who had sex with somebody who had sex with somebody, um, which is why we encourage condoms. But we've noticed that there's <laughs> condom fatigue, that, you know, when people are dating and stuff now, because we have drugs to treat HIV, People feel, well, you know, if I get hypertension, I got a pill. Well, if I get diabetes, I got insulin. Well, you know, if I get HIV, I'm not going to die. Well, that's true, but why would you want that? I know. So we're still having to do it. And then then I find, too, that a lot of the people in the elderly population, of course, elderly is elderly the more elderly I get, so it's about 90 now. (laughs) But they don't know. A lot of elderly people still don't Uh stand how HIV is, they think you still have to take a bunch of pills and, you know, they, they don't know. And they still don't think because you don't hear about it a lot. You know, when was the last time you heard about it on the news? There's HIV AIDS fatigue. So all you hear about now is COVID and a lot of people don't. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this talk is that mm-hmm. it's still here. Yeah. I'll tell a little story at the end as I kind of wind down here after I talk about COVID. I do want to mention this, which is important. Uh, the HIV diagnoses among women in the 50 states and District of Columbia from 2010 to 2017. The good news is from 2010 to 2017, it's gone down in black African-American women by 27%. Mm. So we've, we've really made some progress. The drugs are better. We would like to think that people are getting better access to care. I'm not so so sure that that's the case, but I'm hoping that education and all that. But, but in seven years, we've gone down 27%. And the Latina population, 23%. So that's good. It's also gone down in all the other age groups. But again, it's gone down in the 25 to 34 group. It's gone down in the 35 to 44 group. It's gone down in all the groups except stable, the 55 and older. Mm, so if you're 55 and That's over, it hasn't gone, the cases haven't no, gone down. It's correct. And with that, because in the, in the middle where it's stable, so you've got to have some increases and some decreases. In other words, you still have some increases. Mm. So you have to still watch out about that. One in nine women with HIV are unaware that they have it. People who do not know they have HIV cannot take advantage of HIV care and treatment and may unknowingly pass it on to other people. We just recommend that everybody know your status. As we say, you know, as we say on this show all the time, know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Just know your numbers. So there are two dates that I want to mention that are important for um, HIV. February the 7th, which is National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, and March the 10th, which is my birthday, is National Women and Girls HIV AIDS Awareness Day. So one story from the front line that I talked about, about how HIV is still here, I had a patient about a month ago who came in, 21 years old. He must have gone through the emergency room at least four times. He was being seen by his primary care physician over the last couple of years. And, you know, not to stereotype anybody, but, but we do, we, not stereotype, but, you know, he was obviously effeminate. And my point about that is that with all the signs and symptoms that he had, not one HIV test was done on him. I went back and reviewed all the records for two years. Not one HIV test was done on this young man. At 21 years old, he is now. And when he came in, you know, his, his viral load was over 750,000. His CD4 count was like four. 
Mm. Had a lot of opportunistic infections, and he was really angry because he was a well-educated young man. Of course, I don't know how educated you could be without asking for an HIV test, but I, I want to give him the, 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 the benefit that you trust your physicians, you know. Right. And I did ask him if he was involved in risky behavior. Well, he thought the behavior that he was involved with wasn't going to get him HIV. So we had, a, had to have a conversation about that. But I'm just saying my point about that is that physicians are still missing the diagnosis in 2020. Wow. If you can believe that. Yeah. I mean, he literally was coming in, not literally, figuratively coming in, screaming, I have HIV, please diagnose me. And they would send him out of the emergency room with thrush in his mouth. They'd give him some nice satin. He'd come in with some diarrhea, and they'd give him some, you know, medication to control his diarrhea. Not one time did they do an HIV test on him. So let that too sink in. Now, was he African-American? Yes, he was. Okay. I always tell people that's a form of health disparities right there. That is a form of health disparity. He was African-American young man. And we're not talking, we're not talking the Mississippi Delta. We're not talking someplace where medical care is substandard. We're talking about in a major metropolitan city mm-hmm. um, where in 2020, this just shouldn't happen. You know, just, you know, when, when we were residents back in the day, when we were on rounds with our professor and we were trying to guess what the diagnosis was, it was either syphilis or tuberculosis because in those days, those were the big diseases and it was like, you know, 50-50 chance of being right. So I teach the residents now, anybody that comes in with any kind of weird symptoms, number one, get an HIV test on them and anybody who comes in with anything, get an HIV test on them because everybody needs to know their status. And it's these kind of situations that are missed that are tragic. Now, I can reverse a lot. We have managed to reverse a lot of stuff in this young man. Mm. will probably live, but getting back to baseline where his immune system is going to be relatively normal, it'll probably never be normal, it's going to take about a year or so. Wow. 21. So, yeah, I'm just saying that. And then we have COVID like, here, so that's scary. And, and Exactly, right. So I'm just saying that physicians are missing the boat. Mm. So you have to be your own advocate. Your own be advocate, your own advocate. yes. Be your own advocate. Be your own advocate. So lastly, I just want to, and this is just recent data that has come up with, because questions have arisen about COVID and persons with HIV. Um, and again, you know, they're now teasing out other diseases, because all we've been able to think about now is COVID and saving people's lives. We haven't even been thinking about HIV or other things to, you know, just quickly trying to get a certain drugs to use to keep people alive. But the interim guidance reviews special considerations for persons with HIV and their health care providers in the United States regarding COVID. Information and data on COVID-19 are rapidly evolving, and this guidance includes general information to consider. People with HIV who have COVID-19 have an excellent prognosis, and they should be clinically managed the same as persons in the general population, including making, when making medical care triage determinations. Clinicians should refer to updated sources for more specific recommendations. In general, what this article goes on to say is that you are no more susceptible. Now, let me preface this by saying these are people who are on their medication, whose viral load is suppressed, whose CD4 count is up, and they're just like me and you. They're just taking their medication and they're doing fine. Mm -hmm. This is not those people who, you know, have come to the doctor and they're viral loads are all over the place and their CD4 count is this, that, and the other. They didn't miss their appointments and they don't know where they are. This does not apply to those people. Mm. These are people that are in the healthcare system that are taking care of themselves that are on medication. But the problem is 
where HIV and COVID is a problem is that we now have people that are living to a ripe old age with HIV. Nobody's going to die with HIV, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, you're going to die from hypertension, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and pulmonary disease. And what is unique about these are diseases that are highest people who have them have the highest risk for life-threatening COVID. Mm. So it's not that you're more likely to get a, uh, COVID if you have HIV. It's just like with anybody else. If you have HIV and you're 60 and older, you're more likely to have hypertension, diabetes, mm. obesity, which we never really talked about in HIV patients because, remember, they were all really thin and gaunt and stuff. Right. Those days are over. The bottom line is that what they're telling individuals is just make sure that your immunizations are up. Make sure you take your influenza vaccine. Make sure your pneumococcal vaccinations are up to date. Go to your doctor to make sure all your vaccinations are up. Make sure that you have at least a 30 to 90 day supply of medication on hand because, you know, there may be, you know, with this surge, who knows, there may be a rush on all medications. They may run out, you know, because we're getting, who knows where we're getting supplies from these days. Every time I turn around the hospital, you know, the suppliers that we have, mm -hmm. because of COVID, you're not getting the kind of supplies that you are used to. So the supply chain, so I'm not sure what that means for the pharmaceutical industry, but we are encouraging everybody, and this goes for non-COVID people too, get at least a 30 to 90 day supply of your medication. I was on WebMD a couple of weeks ago and they were asking me about, this guy had done his homework, that there are some HIV drugs that have been used for um, COVID-19. In the early days, early days, you'd, you'd think like this was five years ago. I know, right? Um, just what, March? <laughs> I'm like, it's, yeah, right. It was just, you know, we just had our first patient in the United States for February. So old, in the old days in February of 2020, we yeah. were using some of the HIV drugs, but now with new guidelines that are, that are coming out, those drugs are no longer indicated, although people are still looking at them and doing some clinical trials. You know, that's basically it. Pregnant individuals with HIV, again, you need to be under the care of your physician your OBGYN doctor to make sure, again, that your vaccinations are up. Um, we don't have a lot of data right now on pregnancy and maternal outcomes in people who have COVID who are HIV positive. We just, you know, there's just so much information to glean, to gather, that we just don't have everything that we need to know about this disease. Bottom line is, if you're on medication, as we call it, heart therapy, highly active antiretroviral therapy, you should do fine. But that also means stay on your highly active antiretroviral therapy. You can't, this is not the time now for, sometimes people get heart fatigue, heart therapy fatigue, where I'm not going to take this medication, I'm sick of it. You know, it's kind of like the way we are with COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID, well, COVID's not over you. So, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, D, those numbers, I know. when it comes to African-American women. 13% African-American women represent 13% of women population in this country, and they represent 58% of the diseases. And again, this, you know, my talk is too long today. There's a whole lecture on social determinants, which is, goes along with COVID. I mean, the healthcare disparities that we see now with COVID and the healthcare disparities that we see with HIV AIDS, they mirror each other. They follow each other like a shadow. And many of them, many of them have, have to do with the social determinants of, you know, everything. Social determinants of where you live, multi-generational houses, essential workers, lack of access to care, all these things. And 
I was on a conference the other day, and I just said, we haven't fixed it. No, we haven't. I mean, why, why is it that we still have these social determinants that are problematic to cause health care disparities in a disease like COVID? Well, if you look at it, the same problems that cause the health care disparities with COVID are the same health care disparities for HIV AIDS. So somebody said, well, what is your suggestion for change? I don't know. I don't want to think that it's hopeless, but I just don't know. Well, I think also when we think about everything, and I always say that when people, you know, some of the students, they'll come and say, oh, you know, I just want to work for passion and I just want to do this and everything. <laughs> and I guess it, it takes money. So it takes money for research, yeah. for health care, for it's, it, it, it all boils down to economics. It does. You're right. You're right. And so if you low on the economic That's scale, then you're going to. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. And so somebody said, well, if you could think of one thing, and I did, I said money. That's so it, money. You have to have money. You have to have money to, you have to have money for resources. You have to have money for this. Money. 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 I'm not, I can't say that it's going to reverse everything, but. But it still helps. Social determinants of anything, it will definitely help, right? Yeah, because it, um, money. And I'm not talking about any kind of socialized system or anything like that, but. Mm-hmm. And when I give talks like this, mm-hmm. and you see the disparities have been going on now for I don't know how many years, why haven't we been able to make an impact? Right. Sometimes you have to bring it home to the community yeah. and how we think, okay? Since we know that certain things haven't happened, what can we do as a community to get the monies, to get the health awareness out there to do? And so that's why I think, to me, this is just my, we have to do some um, research. That's why I think some of the numbers are coming down because you guys, the links, all of these different programs mm-hmm. are going specifically mm-hmm. to HBCU school, to black folk mm-hmm. where they are, to mm-hmm. tell them, to mm-hmm. the knowledge, because people don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Because somebody, yeah. th- this, this shows you how we think people know, but they don't. Someone was right. um, referring and, and talking to me, and they didn't realize that, a hamburger was a form of red meat. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they're, they're, you know, pretty much, we would think they're pretty intelligent. Maybe How- intelligent, but they're not educated. That's the problem. That's the problem. One aside about the links, when I did, when I was chair of HIV, AIDS, and hepatitis C, you're right. We brought a program into the HBCUs where, fortunately, we partnered with the CDC, and I was able to bring a sexual health curriculum to 5,000 freshmen in about four or five HBCU schools, suppose we could have expanded that to all of them Mm. and make a significant difference in awareness. And a lot of those kids in those classes, they were peer, they were peer run, Mm. you know, the old folks were not teaching. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the kids just were asking questions that they didn't know. Mm -hmm. Nobody has told them and stuff. So you're right. Money and education. That's it. And has always been our goal, but we're going to double up D. We're going to keep putting right. that knowledge out there and then we're going to help exactly. and encourage people to put that money and the resources for folks yeah, to, exactly. to be able to have. Right. Exactly. And when COVID is over, HIV will still be here because we don't have a cure for it. There's no vaccine. The virus has mutated too many times. There will probably never be a vaccine for HIV AIDS like coronavirus. So coronavirus, this guy this morning predicted at the end of 2021, HIV is still going to be here. So let that sink in. All right. So we definitely got to pay attention. Right. 
All right. And this is the end of our show, D. So give us some quick tips that you think we should think about. I would just say um, just continue to be aware that HIV AIDS is here. Um, continue to do what you can do in your community for awareness. Remember, again, that when COVID is gone, HIV AIDS will still be here. Continue educational programs within your community. And now, you know, the new model is, since we, like we were talking earlier about you can't be in the same room, you can't have meetings, but we can Zoom. You can have Zoom programs. You know, we've, there are all kinds of different models now of mm-hmm. people getting together using Zoom. So use your organization to do that. And the CDC is still working. Um, you can get resources from them and so forth. So, yeah. And get your flu shot. And get your flu shot. Oh, yeah. Wear your mask and social distance and wash your hands. <laughs> so wear your mask. The same old, same old, but it's, it's right. working, right? Wear your mask, right. wash your hands. Social distance and wash your hands, right? There it is. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.